Welcome to Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we welcome you to episode 130. And we're going to have a conversation that I'm actually uh, very excited about. And you might say, well, you're just, uh, you just love bad news, but I don't. (laughs) We're going to give you some really bad news about the American church. We're going to give you our assessment of the current reality of the American church, and we're going to give you what we believe is the answer for the American church. And we're going to finish with a personal assessment for you uh, that each of us will take nine questions. You give yourself a score of one to 11 on the nine questions to assess whether you are part of the problem or whether you're part of the solution. That's it. Yeah. It's going to be great. I'm, I'm, I am excited about it. Even I am though it too. Is, yeah. Down. Okay. Let's start with uh, story or joke time. John, you're up. I am up. So this was a an incredibly stressful day of my life that now I think about kind of uh, fondly, if, if not fondly, I can at least laugh about it. <laughs> uh, so just out of college, I had been uh, looking around for work and I'd interned at when I was in at Northwest, I interned at a, a newspaper called the Bellevue Reporter in uh, Bellevue owned by Sound Publishing. And the office I worked in had a paper for the Kirkland Reporter, Mercer Island, uh, a, a bunch of them. That's and, kind of a cool spot. Yeah, and the, I mean that's 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 kind of big time for a college kid. It was pretty sweet, and uh, it was so. Sound publishing is you know uh, to drop the pretense. They're they're parasites. They're roaches. So the people that I worked with were amazing, <laughs> but the company that owns these papers don't hold back. No, I won't. The, the sound wow. publishing is the empire from Star Wars. They go in and they buy failing papers, and then they they just milk them for all they got and they pay people very little and it's it's kind of a mess so my wow. boss was amazing my coworkers were amazing the opinions expressed on this program are john's are mine yeah i'll stand by them and uh if you ever talk to people who've worked for sound publishing generally they'll probably hold the same opinions but wow uh, but again did they have a ch- high churn rate of employees oh, because yeah. of that oh yeah so uh Anyway, this story is how it contributed to that high churn rate because <laughs> <laughs> after i entered there uh, I was looking for work and I'm de- back down in Olympia and Lindsay works down there and it's my home anyway. So I'm not looking to move, but I, it's hard to find work yeah. in the news for a journalist, for a journalist. So, uh, Bellevue reporter has an opening for it's, it's a half reporting job, but a lot of it is kind of date entry style stuff. So I'd be right. Classified like, ads, things like that. No more like updating, u- updating their, uh, uh, web, the scheduling when their stories go on the web, things like that. So, so, oh, a little, so a little bit of administrative work, yeah, and yeah. some reporting, and some reporting, and that that some reporting was for me. That was there, like, well, because because you're you a reporter, this, and because yeah. you want it, you can write, you know, two or three stories a week or something like that. So, uh, and because you know, I'd been there anyway. So, the commute was like an hour fifteen because of traffic, and right. I would go in at, I'd get there at ten thirty or eleven, and then leave at seven thirty or so oh, to try man. and try and you know. Uh, uh, beat the traffic. And I remember thinking this was a terrible idea at the time. Well, here's the thing. So in hindsight, I felt like I had to. Yeah. And you're a married it, man. You got to provide. You got to bring home the bacon. Yeah. I was making $13 an hour. Yeah. And when the minimum wage across the lake in Seattle was 15 <laughs> uh, at the time. Now, I don't know what it is. But um, so, yeah, I felt like afterwards. Well, I'll just tell the story. So then I started working there. I worked there for one week. And. When we're there, and if this was COVID, then I could have worked remote. Absolutely, I could have worked remote for this then particular you, you job. you might have stayed if you could do that. Yeah. 
uh, because then, you know, I'm asking that boss, uh, you know, and again, who was awesome. I love this lady. I only worked with her for combined like a few months when I was in my internship and then this one week. Uh, but she was very gracious. She was she was uh, amazing. And uh, well, good talent's hard to find for thirteen bucks an hour. Well, yeah, it is in in your defense. Well, so anyway, so she agrees. Sound Publishing has a not a real work from home policy, but she says we'll find a way. So I could work from home Thursday, Friday. So so two days a week I would be able to work from home, commute in an three hour days. each way, so yeah. three hours of driving, three days a week. Uh, so you say okay, I'll take that deal. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm there, and it's just not gonna work. It's I've, through the drives each time. I'm in my truck. I'm in my Tacoma. Yeah. I'm like, this isn't really feasible for that work. And that what uh, uh, people whose opinions I respect, and I won't say their names here, but they had said, you know, you got it for the experience. And you know, that's usually that's pretty safe it's, advice. It's not bad advice because uh, especially in a, in the journalism world, people build their resume and move from paper to bigger paper to bigger paper. Right, and you climb the ladder That's that kind way. of the natural progression of the career. Yeah, and so uh, also you could say maybe I wasn't made of tough enough stuff. That people people have commuted that commute for much longer. Yeah, I couldn't do it for two days. A lot of people do it for decades. Man. And uh, really my realization was for this money, I don't have to. I could be in Olympia working at a coffee shop with my and doing fiance better. and doing better with tips and everything. Yeah, making more money. Yeah. And I wasn't, you know, wasn't get paid compensation for the, you know, no mileage thing because it's commute. You don't sure, get paid, sure. you know, none of that. So it was hard to justify. And so at the end of the week, it's. Uh, and didn't they also start putting pressure on you? Hey, where were you Thursday and Friday? No, no, they were nice. They oh, were good I thought about they it. started to say, well, you know, you we told you you could, but we didn't really expect you to do that. No, the boss was she was good about it. Some of my coworkers were a little awkward but i had gone to school with with uh, one woman there so we were you know okay. we were close and that was good um but no it was just uh, uh anyway it, yeah. it really it, i have no complaints with actual coworkers. okay they they she really meant it it did bother me that it wasn't in writing in, or, yeah it wasn't you know, legit. this was kind of behind the yeah yeah we but, won't you didn't see anything yeah that if darth vader came down to the station and i wasn't there and he's like is there a employee working from you know whatever yeah. i didn't want to want it to be a thing so that didn't help so i remember it is uh monday so i worked there for a total of five days it is the following monday and uh and i'm meeting with you at that mcdonald's in tumwater because i get i have to, i got to be there by 11 so i got time to have breakfast and stuff oh okay and uh and i'm like yeah i'm gonna i gotta quit and so I'm like, do I write an email? Do I go all the way up there just to quit? And you were like, you should go all the way up there. And I was like, okay. And that, yeah. that is good advice. That is good advice. That's good advice. That's what a man would do. It is, yeah. Do it, do it right. And so I didn't I, mean that as a, like a woman wouldn't do that. No, I just but mean, that's what a, uh, I'm dignity. talking to a boy. Yeah. That's what a man, not a boy would do. If, if I was Bethany, I mean. you would say a woman would go that's, and that's, yeah. quit in person. So I did. So I drive up there and I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out. <laughs> I'm very stressed. I hate confrontation doing this. is not your specialty. Yeah, and so I get there and I go to the. There's they work on the second or third floor, and so I go into the bathroom on the first floor, and I'm and I'm sitting. I'm not even. I don't even have to go to the bathroom. But I'm in the stall, just like near hyperventilating. <laughs> so uh, context to this, I think I've talked about this on the podcast. I have a very old water bottle that I very much am oh. attached to. I've had I it think you've had it since maybe seventh grade. Since seventh grade, yeah, yeah, I've had it, and so I got that with me like I always do. And, uh, <laughs> and you're hugging it in the stall. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a it's not like a blankie. It doesn't bring me oh, okay. comfort. It's just just as important to know. Yeah. So then I go up there, and 
I sit down because the boss is busy. You got sweat rolling down your forehead. Basically. And so when she's finally free, I go in and ask her if she has a minute. And I, you know, I don't, it, it went okay. How did, what, tell us what you said. What, I honestly can't remember. I said basically, <laughs> I basically said it's not working. Yeah. It's not you, it's me. And she, again, this woman's amazing. She said, yeah. she said that she felt guilty even offering me the job because she thought it wasn't a good idea, but she really needed somebody. Yeah. And she, I was at least a known, a known entity because I right. worked for him for right. a little bit. So uh, she completely understood and she was bummed to see me go and it was fine. But she said, go ahead and go today. You don't have to stick around. Yeah. Yeah. Because I said, when we had talked at, at McDonald's, I was like, what do I even do? And you said, we well, should offer to stay two weeks. And so I did. I said, if you want me to put in two weeks notice, you know, double the time that I've worked here, <laughs> I am willing to do that. And she said, that, that won't be necessary. So, uh, and so because I'm, I'm like, one, now I'm relieved, but I really wanted to get out of there. So yeah. I, I bail without even telling my coworker, I'm never coming back. You know, I just, I, yeah. I just kind of. Snuck out the back duck. stairway. I think I even did the. This is if you ever doubt how much a coward I am. I did the whole fake phone call thing. I put my no, phone up my ear and walked out, so no one would try and talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this is the real the real John. So anyway, I oh, I get down to my hilarious. I get down to my truck. My water bottle's not there. Oh no! And so I'm looking around. It's in the stall. Yes. So I was free. I was like, man, I, I had to think about. How much it means to you. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, my my poor water bottle I've had for so long. If it's up in that office, I might Wilson, leave it. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to think. It came down to like an identity question. It's like, am I the kind of guy who's too much of a chicken to go get his to water, go get bottle, my water from... bottle who's been loyal to me for all these years? Yeah. But so I was like, I wonder if it's in the stall. And it was. It was, you know, with those little handrail things. And that saved you because that was on the first floor. Yeah, exactly. So then I, I'm beaming the whole drive home, <laughs> weight off my shoulders. Singing country music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and there it was so then after that i uh did some uh writing work for the church we there was a, a book idea that we had yeah and then i got a job in mud bay uh actually right after i got married i yeah. started like i think i still was doing that work for the church for about a month after i got married then mud bay for about a year or maybe 10 months and then the paper for about a year and now at the church and it all worked out but yeah, that was a did. that's hilarious. Yeah, that's I think about the day. It's funny. It reminds me of like a Seinfeld episode. I'm George Costanza, <laughs> yeah. just like just freaking out. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Okay, well, uh, let's dive into our topic today. And I want to again say we're gonna be we're gonna be really hard on the American church mm-hmm. in our assessment, and we uh, acknowledge we want to say out front that that means we're being hard on ourselves, especially yeah. me uh, since I pastor a you know a church and have been a part of American church leadership for 35 years. This is, uh, this is pointing the finger right at me. So I own that and believe that, um, God is using, uh, the pandemic. He's using, uh, social disruption in the political world. He's using this cultural moment to give the church an invitation to reset. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, we believe that the church should stand up and, answer the call for that reset and that the future could be very, very bright. So John, this began, this conversation began actually with you having two things that you were kind of had your hair on fire about you, 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 you know, in typical John fashion, uh, you didn't bounce into a room like Kramer and uh, have this, this, uh, aha, it was a subtle thing, but you made a definitive statement that took me back and I wrote it down. 
make that statement now. Yeah, and just so you guys know, we will only make Seinfeld references from here on out. <laughs> if any reference, it'll just be just be Seinfeld. So this was um, it. I didn't know that it would had that much of an impact on you when I said it because we were just uh, talking, and we've been doing this uh, Bible study prayer group uh, very early on Tuesdays. So Tuesday I'm, mornings at six thirty to eight. Yeah, with, uh, there's twelve of us. And then after that, we always go have coffee mm-hmm. and talk for another 45 minutes or so. And it's been really good. But but part of the reason I say that is because I was, I was also very tired. So I, I, you know, yeah, it kind of it was. It did kind of sound like a resigned, exhausted statement when you said Yeah. That. So I had said that uh, we were talking about the church and we were talking about really, because um, everyone, it seems everyone in the group at this time is having this really energizing, a really peaceful. Personal renewal. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in spending lots of time. Uh, intimate time with with God, and you know we we call that abiding in the vine or altar time or whatever you want to call it. Is that you know that kind of thing? And so, uh, in light of that, I was we were talking about the church, and I said that the church seems to me to be a corpse. Like you didn't even say seems to me to be. You said the church is a corpse. Well, that's the way I wrote it down. That's what that's, me that back is the way I said it because I, it was a definitive statement. Yeah, the church is a corpse. Now go on. Uh, well. I don't exactly remember what I said then. But tell me now why why you think the church is a corpse. The reason I was thinking about it was was in the life that I was now feeling. There was no other real word. There, were, there are plenty of words for it. But that was the one that came to mind. Was that it was a dead body uh, that, that you know, in, in our terms, that's final. I didn't mean it to be final, but that it could be rejuvenated. But that currently, there's no life there. When you think about the things of the spirit, uh, when when. Uh, Paul talks about the life in the flesh and the life in the spirit. Mm-hmm. The American church is the in the life of the flesh. It is dead, dead as it stands and not in the life of the spirit, which would be alive. Okay. So would you say then that uh, you and perhaps many of our group were, were a corpse as well. And now we're coming back to life. Is that, is that, yeah. is that the equivalent of what you're saying? Well, because you think about, you know, if it's the body of Christ, obviously I wouldn't call the entire body of Christ a corpse. That'd be right. Uh, right. Heretical. But, uh, it, I've, I talked about it as an entity really what, what surprised me about it, thinking back on it was because I had seen these kinds of statements about the church before big sweeping things against the church. And I was always defensive about it. And so yeah, you're always, yeah, but yeah, yeah. But you don't understand or you're being and ridiculous even, or even now when I say the church is a corpse in my head, I'm not thinking of evergreen or living water. Like I don't have a, when I, when I look at those churches, I go, I mean, you're, you're okay. Like, that's not what I'm thinking. You know, right. I'm thinking of the ones that we see on the news and these mega churches and, and it's almost more the, the, the faceless kind of capital T, they, the church. Um, so, and so when we get into our assessment of why we think it's dead and what the symptoms of that deadness are, that will help explain, I think, where this came from. So, yeah. um, while we're not saying Evergreen is dead, that's the church that I pastor and you work at and we attend and we love, mm-hmm. we would say there's death in Evergreen. There is some death there. Yeah. And so we acknowledge, again, it otherwise would be to say we realize that the rest of the church is dead. We're alive. We know how this ought to go, <laughs> and I just want to. I just want to make sure that our humility about this is is genuine. We yeah. do not believe that here we come to save the yeah. day. You well, know. in fact, it was it was a kind of a depressing morning because the more we talked about it, and you were chewing on this all day, I was, and you know we talked about it again when we met up later that day, 
And when I when we tried to look for solutions, you're you're pretty practical and creative. You had you had more thoughts about it, but I was at a loss because mm-hmm. I was thinking like the problem is too big. It does. And, it is overwhelming at the problem. So let's talk about the problem. Yeah. Why. Why do you say it's dead? And by the way, Sue and I had been in Denver for um, our grandson's, your your nephew's birthday. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things we did while we were there is we drove down to our friends who have a 40-acre ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, we spent half a day with them at the ranch. And we were talking there, and I mentioned your statement uh, to them while we ate uh, some of their cow. <laughs> <laughs> they had killed this cow? Uh, yeah. And wow. so we had steaks. It really and, is a ranch. Yeah. And... Uh, so I told him your statement, and uh, my friend Fran, he said, he said, hey, that's this is no joke. Um, this is a very real problem, especially if you think of 20 to 12-year-olds, 12, 12 to 20-year-olds. There's nobody there. Mm. So there's not a pipeline of leadership. There's not a pipeline of attendance. There's not a pipeline of heritage to pass on. So this is a very real problem. The, the church, wells run dry. Yes, and the church is basically a hospice waiting for the ones who are in it to die, and then it'll be then it'll be really gone. And so that kind of confirmed to me the conversation we've been having. So even then I was doing more and more thinking about this. And so um, you didn't say, well, here's why. Right. But I started thinking about why. And I had uh, I had a few symptoms, which now I think you concur with. But let's talk about. Them. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the first one is broadly that uh, the American church um, operates in the flesh, not in the spirit, meaning that it trusts in. Um, earthly, human, carnal, uh, fleshly sources and strategies and systems for its survival. Yeah, a lot of uh, uh, you know business kind of strategies as far as how to reach people. Yeah, and it's very much a, a, a statistic led kind of game. Yeah, you know as far as what when you're succeeding, when you're failing, it's all yeah. based on yeah. it's really business operated. metrics analyzed. You have a, the pastors or CEOs. Yeah, pastors are reading uh, corporate business leadership books exactly. more than they read the Bible. And so the simple way of saying that is that the the church leans on power, resources, wealth, and control as the strategy and systems to make the church successful rather than relying upon the living God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Spirit among us, through us, and around us, etc. So that's, that's the first symptom. The second symptom is narcissistic leaders. Mm. And this is what everybody is sick of seeing. We keep seeing narcissistic leaders uh, revealed for who they are and falling from their uh, pinnacle. And I would describe these leaders as leaders who seek autonomy and independence and celebrity status, and they uh, flaunt material wealth. Yeah. And so they have also a wrong view of success and a wrong view of strategy. Yeah. So far, so good. Yeah. And I think, you know, really a lot of it is a lot of my frustration maybe is more recent in the realm of, you know, the kind of hyper conservatism we've seen. And and it's probably always been there. But then through the, the Trump era, just kind of those divisions got bigger and the the uh, aggression got bigger. And so a lot of that for me is uh, the the earthly focus is is all encompassing. It is in the leadership as far as how we grow and where we put our hope mm-hmm. and and business, but it's also in what we talked about last week with uh, with power. Yeah. How much of it is about power and control? Yeah. And uh, and so those are the churches. A lot of the times, uh, I don't know. Those are the ones that I think of when I think of the of the death. 
it feels like uh, liberal churches have given up on the <clears throat> on the authority of Scripture, right? And conservative churches took the bait and got the hook in their mouth on political power. Yeah. Uh, the third symptom or cause of this travesty, this uh, this corpse reality, is consumer Christians mm. who desire and seek personal prosperity, political power and protecting what they have versus following Jesus by descending into greatness, Philippians 2, 5, and 6. Though he was the Son of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be used to his own advantage, but rather emptied himself and took the form of a servant. Yeah. Uh, that we um, have consumer Christians who are more concerned about getting their preferences satisfied and their prosperity secured, and church becomes a pop psychology, help me flourish in my life. Let me parent my kids. Rather than teach me how to die to myself and live in Christ and live a transformed life on purpose. So uh, it's a pretty comprehensive problem that in, that includes the system, the, the systemic issues, the leadership issues, and the congregant issues. Yeah. It's pretty comprehensive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at you to make sure no, that, I'm, that there's nothing you want to add to that. I'm totally with you. It's It's... I think when you think of the scale of the problem, right, statistically, the majority of Americans still identify as Christians far and away. It's 70 something percent, like the, the, the large majority. Right. So it's tough to part of me thinks that the our faith was never meant to be a dominant culture, because how do you how do you even manage that? As soon it's as it becomes yeah. a dominant, it flourishes in the rebellion. In stage. adversity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, man. It's funny you said that because at the, right before you said that, I was thinking that the church flourishes in adversity, not in prosperity. Yeah. And um, and what I think is my response to what you said is that uh, the majority of Americans identify as Christians, but they aren't. Right. And that, that's and clear. That the kingdom of God is so upside down, so non-American. That we really are not living that. We are Americanizing the gospel and Americanizing our Christianity. Yeah. Uh, so it's more of American Christianity, not biblical Christianity. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, we think we know what a move toward uh, resuscitation might look like. And especially, so it's harder, when I, the leadership I think it's a little, they're at least intellectually engaged. Or if you were to tell them the problem with the leadership, they would generally know what you're at least talking about. The consumer population is trickier for me because a lot of them aren't aware of it. These aren't things that they generally think about. They're 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 busy people. That's one of the reasons they're consumers because they want help with their business. They want help with their work and their mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. So it's not that they're uh, anyway. So so that one feels almost more tricky to me. Well, and I think it does inordinately fall on leadership because they are consuming the gospel that has been presented to them. Yeah. So. Uh, it still falls on the leaders. What is it we're declaring? What is it we're teaching? Um, how are we attracting them? Whatever you use to attract them, you have to use to retain them. Yeah. And so the whole system is is really um, askew. Sure. So uh, I think my short story for what the answer is, is that uh, every lover of Jesus, every Christian, and this is what I think uh, it's interesting in our little Tuesday morning discipleship group, Universally, the group is saying, um, I have not lived this way. Yeah. I have not lived this way where I give an ordinate time to be with Jesus and listen to Jesus every single day, or at least, you know, five out of seven. 
And for the majority of them, they've been in the church for a long time. They're most most of their lives. Yeah. So um, so for me, the 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 simplistic answer is people loving Jesus and being mm-hmm. with Jesus. You know, pursuing Jesus, not religion, not church, not uh, uh, religious practices, and certainly not prosperity, uh, comfort. Yeah, absolutely. Just seeking Jesus. Learning to be with Jesus, learning to um, ha- enjoy Jesus, enjoying you. Uh, this simplistic thing of, of of John fifteen, abiding in the vine, so that we could be fruitful. Well, and that's you know one of the reasons this was so uh, ap- or apparent to me recently, and why my kind of defensiveness against these criticisms has dropped a little bit uh, is because I've now lived in that reality. So it's almost like I did see the problem obviously, but I guess I didn't see how wide that disparity really is Yeah, until I was kind of living in this, this, this different lifestyle. Life. Yeah. So, uh, the second thing we would say is not just abiding in Jesus, but that the body of Christ, the people of God would in fact experience a unity a oneness that Jesus prayed for in John 17. Yeah. This was the second horse you got on. First, you said that the church is a corpse and it was either just before that or just after that you got on the John 17 thing. So talk about I think, that. Well, before that we had actually, we did an episode on it, on the, the oneness of the uh, people of God and how that's what Jesus prays for all believers. And that you know, at least here, cause that's all I can, that's all I know is, is the Western church uh, that isn't even really uh, scratched. And after we had that conversation, actually, uh, reading through Acts, that exact wordage is used in the early church in Acts, uh, that the uh, early disciples all lived together, their possessions they didn't treat as their own, and they were together in heart and mind, is the, is the wording. Yeah. So my question when he prayed for that at the end of John, I was like, what does that even look like? And then immediately Boom, in Acts 2 and 4, it shows you, you what that looks it like. It shows you what it looks like. So, so we would say then that the answer to this crisis is a different kind of Christian. Mm-hmm being a part of a different kind of church led by a different kind of leader. Yeah. And the leader one is, I mean, the last episode we talked about was that whole book is for like that. The leader in Jesus name, in Jesus name by, by Henry Nouwen, the leader who uh, is not tempted to relevance to being spectacular and to being powerful. That kind of leader is who you're talking about. Yeah. So what I want to do is I want to read this portion of Acts chapter two, read this portion of Acts chapter four uh, to describe what we're talking about as what we believe is the answer. Um, a different kind of Christian is that we are Christians who abide with Jesus, who really are following Jesus. Yeah. And then uh, we do this. So this is Acts 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Then in Acts chapter 4, there's a shorter passage that's kind of the same thing, but another round of it. All the believers were one in heart and mind. That's the part you loved. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money, 
from the sales and put it in the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Yeah, and this is doubly impressive, or or the commitment is is doubly clear when you understand the how property worked back then and how long that property would have been in these in these people's families, how intimately tied to their identity it was. It wasn't just they had a vacation home out in the out on the lake mm-hmm. and they sold that. This was like this was a very very important. Yeah, legacy, inheritance, history, inheritance, all kinds of things. So, because uh, in that in the in that culture, mo- the most of your wealth was your your land. Yeah. So uh, here's what we're gonna do. We're going to I'm gonna summarize what we've said so far. We're going to uh, take a break. We're gonna come back and do a show and tell. Then we'll dive into this assessment tool so that each of us can kind of evaluate, am I part of the problem or am I part of the solution? So the summary is the church is a corpse because it is systemically addicted to power, wealth, uh, flesh tactics, flesh mm-hmm. strategies, psychology, psychology, business you know, tactics. Um, uh, yeah. It is led by leaders who are narcissists and who seek celebrity status they want to be more influencer than pastors uh, or leaders and they uh, flaunt material uh, wealth yeah um, and that's you know that's a broad brush we're just we're just saying this is what it feels like to us and the third is consumer Christians who are more concerned about their own prosperity and uh, their own comfort zones and their political power and their control um, rather than following Jesus in the path of descending into greatness so this is the problem. The answer is a new kind of Christian and a new kind of leader. And the new kind of Christian is this, what we just read in Acts 2 and 4, a new kind of Christian that abides with Jesus, John 15. Well, it's funny. The new kind of Christian is the first kind of Christian. It's yes. Kind of how it goes. <laughs> Back to the future. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so uh, a new kind of Christian who abides with Christ, who walks in unity of heart and mind with other believers, and that they are led by um, leaders of God who... Um, are operating by the spirit with humility as servants. Exactly. All right. So uh, we'll be right back. And what we'll do is do the show and tell, and we'll give you a little assessment tool. You can self-assess and we'll, then we'll wrap it up. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content, as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives, and who are joining Him on His mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com, where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right, we're back. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Uh, and again, we just want to thank you, uh, one, for just being here. And and uh, if you could do one thing for us at the end of this episode, if you felt so inclined, it'd be uh, to share it with somebody who you think this could appeal to. Because this one's more critical, we don't want you to be like, hey, you could really <laughs> listen to this one. Uh, but someone, you know, who's been, you've been having these conversations with or, uh, or really anyone who you think would get would anything out of this. Differently, yeah. Deeply about it. Yeah. Then uh, go ahead and send it their way. That would mean 
a ton to us. So uh, talk to me about this assessment tool. Well, let's do the show and tell. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Get ahead of myself. Right. You're, you're cutting me out, man. Uh, I, I got, I got no, a thing I want to show and I want to hear it. I want to hear it. What's your show and tell this okay, week? Okay. So um, sometimes we traffic, uh, well, we traffic a lot in Tenino. That's our little town. Mm-hmm. Uh, you live there. I live there. We love this little town. It's great. And they have, uh, during certain months of the year, a farmer's market on Main Street, just off Main Street, every Saturday. And so uh, we pop over there time to time. And uh, last time I was there, uh, we had Uncle Bob visiting from Washington, D.C. Oh, yeah. So I took him out there. And I found there was a woodcarver guy at his tent. And I, I bought this this thing. I'm going to say this is about a 10-inch diameter circle. Would you say, John? Look yeah, at that. sure. So about a 10-inch diameter circle, a wood circle, piece of wood. and uh, About a quarter inch thick. Yeah. And cut into the wood, carved out, are letters and a logo that spell Seattle Kraken with the Kraken logo in the middle. Mm-hmm. And he put uh, felt colors behind it. So actually, when you hold it up to the light, you can see it kind of lights up like there's a light behind it. It's that kind of turquoise and navy Kraken colors. Yep. Yeah. And it's gorgeous. And so I think I paid 10 bucks for it, uh, support my local farmer's market. And I love the Seattle Kraken. They are 1-1-1. One, one, one. They've had three games so far. They're 1-1-1. One, one, uh, at the time we made this recording, and um, they are fun to watch, man. They're a good team. They're really good. The That's goalie, exciting. The goalie is incredible. What's it, you, you love him. What's Philip his name? Philip Grubauer. Grubauer. Uh, Philip Grubauer is... I keep is, thinking Boonhauer from King of the <laughs> Grubauer. <laughs> they are a great team, and that's my show and tell. That's awesome. All right. Okay, so now tell me about the assessment tool. I've, I've, I've waited long enough. Okay. So, uh, John, <laughs> I want you to take a piece of paper and oh. write down how you might self-assess on these questions, just write down the score. You don't need to, you know, give yourself a score one to eleven on these nine deals. And we're going to confess. I got to do this publicly. Well, you can decide if you're going to confess your score or not. Oh man, I've already done it, so I have my score written down. Okay. All right. Um, so here we go. And if you're listening, you can pull over the car, stop your workout, or just try to keep track of points in your head. Give or yourself come, points each time. Yeah, go through this now and then come back to it later. Yep. And I will post a blog on the website that has this assessment tool on it and a picture of my. Seattle Kraken show and tell thing, and uh, you can take it there. All right, number one, devoting yourself to the word. On a scale okay. of one to eleven, how are you doing at devoting yourself to the word of God? Devoting yourself would be that you read it, uh, you listen to it, you think about it, you meditate on it, you study it. You're devoted to it. It's the word of God. You love it, and it's a part of your life. Interesting, some research came out recently uh, about the difference in life for people who engage the Bible three times or less in a week and those who engage it more than three times. Oh, that jump is big. And the jump is huge. Interesting. And so uh, devoting yourself to the Word, I would say uh, the frequency with which you look to the Word and what you do with the Word, how much it means to you, blah, blah, blah. Okay? Give yourself a score one, two, three. 11. Okay. Am I reading that now or just no, at the end? No, just at the end. We'll get, we'll get your total score. Okay, sweet. Okay, category number two, giving and receiving fellowship. They had close mutual relations with each other and involvement in each other's lives. They mm. broke bread together. They met at each other's homes. They had true, genuine community with each other. They didn't show up once a week or 1.8 times a week, a month, <laughs> and look at the back of somebody's head, come in late, leave early, 
no human connection, that would be the opposite. Sure. Uh, they, this is close uh, of giving and receiving community. Gotcha. All right. Okay. Number three, uh, participating in Christ. Now it says they broke bread and prayed together. The breaking of bread there is in that first case, because it talks about uh, eating meals in their homes later, yeah. is communion. So it is uh, this belief that as they as they took the communion, as they broke bread and took the wine, that they were participating in Jesus. Like they are, he said, unless you eat my flesh, drink my blood, you have no part in me. Sure. So they believed in this and they participated in this reality that Christ is alive and I'm a part of him and he's a part of me. So a personal kind of participating in Christ. I love that. All right. Number four, uh, knowing and using your spiritual gifts. So um, signs and wonders took place among them as the apostles did these. And it's a reference that you can, that points us toward spiritual gifts. Every Christian, the Bible says, at the time you are born into God's kingdom, he gives you spiritual gifts. Hmm. And those can be, you can learn about those in Ephesians 4, Romans uh, four and first Corinthians 14. Those are the three chapters you can look at gifts, but those would be gifts of hospitality, uh, service, leadership, teaching, generosity. There's sure. all kinds of gifts. Sure. Um, so what would you score yourself on knowing what your spiritual gifts are and that you use them on purpose? Awesome. Okay. Number five, I guess it is. One, Almost, two, yeah. Three, five, four, five, uh, Choosing unity in Christ, and that is to reject division. Mm. So uh, this is to forgive. This is to reconcile. This is to not carry a grudge that I refuse to allow division in the body, in in the church family, in my community of faith. I don't uh, passive aggressive. I don't manipulate. I don't uh, judge and condemn, but I choose unity. Sure. In Christ. Sure. Okay. All right, number six, uh, a little over halfway. Okay, number six, sharing and caring for your brothers and sisters. So this is uh, actually taking care of one another, that mm-hmm. you see needs and you re- you respond to them. You care about and share your resources with people in your community of faith as they have need, as the opportunity arises. You are sharing and caring for your brothers and sisters. That's interesting. I had a question on this specifically to that Acts scenario where a lot of this is with the brothers and sisters. And is that separate from meeting the needs of the quartet of the vulnerable I believe outside it is. of the church? Yes, I okay. believe it is. So is this question separate? Then? This Not- question is in the body. Mm. That's tricky. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll think of a number. Okay. I'm the- not moving on until you do. So sharing <laughs> sharing and caring for your brothers and sisters. You you see someone and you respond. You You think about them. Maybe you pray for them. You might reach out to them. You might send a text and encouragement. You might uh, actually deliver a meal. You might get on a meal train for somebody who's just gone through a surgery, whatever. Mm. You're sharing and caring for your brothers and sisters. Okay. All right. All right. Number seven. Seven. Uh, Sacrificially sharing your wealth. Now, this is, and I use the word sacrificially because they were selling their estates, parts of their estate. Yeah. Uh, And so this hurts a little that I don't just give in the offering but I sacrificially share my wealth when called upon, when the when the need arises, and I have the opportunity to do so. Yeah, that I consider and might participate in sacrificially sharing my wealth. Sure. 
Number eight. Number eight, gathering faithfully. They met weekly in the temple and daily house to house, but that's gathering faithfully. I would say we know that the research is that the average churchgoer attends church 1.8 times a month. Mm-hmm. So less than twice a month. And um, that would not be gathering faithfully. That would not be a, an 11 on this scale. Sure. So how how are you at gathering faithfully with the body of Christ for the worship of Jesus and the fellowship of the body, um, et cetera? Sure. Last one. Enjoying meals with other believers in our homes. So this is only, oh yeah, nine questions. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Number nine, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sorry, I was thinking 11 questions because I know. No, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nine questions, 11 points. Exactly. So, so uh, eating meals with other believers in our homes, that you go to people's homes, you have people in your home, mm-hmm. that uh, this is uh, uh, an important part of your uh, your your faith, an important part of your uh, life in Jesus, that you um, eat meals with other believers. Sure. There you go. That's all nine questions. Rack them up, John. And uh, I don't know how good you are at math. You're going to take off your shoes and use your toes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll figure it out. I might have to you hold up your hands, too. Let's see. Okay. I'll give a little uh, Jeopardy music while you do that. Mm-hmm. Do, 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 do. Terribly distracting, actually. All right. Uh, you keep doing your math. I hope uh, if you're listening and doing this in your head that you have a score as well. Now, the point of assessment, sometimes people take these assessments and they go, oh, man, I suck. And this becomes a point of self-loathing, a feeling like I'm not even a faithful Christian. That is not the point of the assessment. The point of the assessment is to get an honest view of, am I part of this problem? Am I contributing to the corpse reality of the church? Maybe we could just call it the flesh reality of the church. Sure. And, uh, and, and it gives indication of how I could contribute to a better future. So, you want to share your score, John? I'll share my score. All right. I've already talked about how I almost ran into a burning building for my water bottle. <laughs> so, uh, I got a 74. A 74 out of 99. 99, yeah. So, that's about a 76% score. About so, a C. Yeah, that's a high C. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cs get degrees. That's true. Mine did. So <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because I would say, I forget which question, which number was the uh, uh Time with Jesus, contemplating Christ, the communion. Yeah, uh, that was uh, number three. Some of those I might weight heavier. I might put more emphasis on those. Yeah, because that's true. They lead to other behavioral changes, or certainly or what changes. you and I are finding is that as we give serious blocks of time to participating in Christ, um, it is changing the other set, the other items. Yeah. So it is. It should be weighted differently. That and would I, be. That's a good point. Yeah, and I did. Mine were a little uh, uh, peaks and valleys. I did really well in some and pretty poorly in others. And that's so, pretty standard. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty standard. So tell me, John, what's your takeaway? Uh, first from the assessment, and second from the entire conversation. Well, and this is not news to me, but from the assessment, my takeaway is that I don't prioritize enough the uh, within the body. Um, connecting uh, connecting so we have people over for dinner we go over for dinner lots of places that's that's good and fine but i'm never really looking for opportunities to serve the body and uh, especially recently i'm i'm very very intently looking for opportunities to serve the vulnerable and the poor that's that to me felt like 
one because it's so because it's Jesus talked about it so often. Mm-hmm. It was hard to neglect that as far as my you know thinking. Um, not again, not in how do I earn salvation or whatever, but thinking what is what does Jesus want me to do? What is right. it to do the will of my Father? Right. I think I think of those things. So, um, and again, not trying to pat myself on the back, just being honest about my yeah. my conduct. So, thinking in the the church and what needs I can meet there, it never really occurs to me, which is probably one of the reasons why the church body is so uh, stagnant is because probably a lot of people don't think about that. Well, and we think that somebody's going to take care of that. <laughs> you know, we do tend to think that the organization is, sure. is going to do that. Yeah, sure. Like there'll be programs for that or something like that. Yeah. Okay. What's your takeaway from the entire conversation? Uh, from the entire conversation, really, because I was thinking like, again, talking about how hopeless it can seem sometimes when the problem is this large because I think from the top down, I mm-hmm. think organizationally with leadership, how do you fix however many tens of millions, hundreds of millions of American Christians there are? Right. And and from the top down. And in reality, you know, thinking of the, the inverted kingdom and, and going the trajectory downwards in death to the self of the of you know, the disciple of uh, of Jesus, I really think the answer is the same as the Oikos answer, as the answer of spreading the gospel to new people, it would be the same model of spreading what the life in the spirit looks like to other believers. Yeah. So it would be much more of the um, community, much more of the service to brothers and sisters and changing that with your sphere of influence with your eight to 15 people. And especially if you're like me and uh, for a lot of uh, Americans in church, it's probably the same where most of the people, you know, if not all of them or the ones that you at least see semi-regularly are in the church. Mm-hmm. So it's harder for me even to think of one's uh, uh, non-professing Christians that I can have this influence on. There's tons of professing Christians. So that's a lot of opportunity to for uh, systemic change as far as the people in your circle. Mm. And again, this doesn't look like, hey, I've noticed that you seem pretty stale. You seem pretty <laughs> pretty spiritless and dead. It's not that. Right. It's, it's, it's service. Um, so yeah. that, that gives me more hope to think of it bottom up instead of top down. Yeah, and I do think, I was writing in my journal this morning, that the the single greatest thing, I've said this for actually decades, that the, that the first answer to everything in your life, the first answer to every problem in your life is more of Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I so I think the first answer to this is for followers of Jesus to get very serious about spending time with God allowing God to shape them. We call it altar and stewardship. Sure. Getting at the altar to hear from God and getting at the altar to receive marching orders from God, being renewed by God, and then practicing the stewardship of that in your life. So altar stewardship, this life, I think that's the greatest single thing you can do for yourself, for your marriage, for your family, for God, for the church. So I would say the first call is for followers of Jesus to actually spend time with Jesus, allowing Jesus to change them and trusting in the supernatural uh, presence and provision and protection of God in their daily life. Yeah. So that's my biggest takeaway is we got to start there and then move as servants toward our old cost. And do you have advice for someone who does this assessment and does not like their score? What What would you say? Would, would that be your first yeah, first thing is put a block of time alone with God. Uh, we have shared some resources that are helping us. Um, there's a book we haven't talked about called The Chair. It's a very short, simple book. Mm. 
and it's uh, about a spiritual practice called chair time. And um, it's another idea you could use, but I would say start developing this practice of solitude with God um, through prayer, meditation, reflection, the scriptures, giving blocks of time and seeking to hear from God. I think that is the first step, no matter what your assessment score is. Awesome. All right. Well, I hope uh, our goal with none of these is, is discouragement. So uh, if this was discouraging to you, know that we through all this have hope in the ultimate redemptive power of, of Christ. This is not a, this is not a doomsday, uh, gloomy, gloomy podcast. Um, so, uh, we hope that you, and if you have any questions or even, um, disagreements with any of this, oh, we would yeah. love to hear it. Love to hear it. We've done full episodes on, uh, listener feedback. So if you have uh, things that you would wish for us to talk about, or again, just lingering questions that we didn't answer, we've, We've done either full episodes or or large chunks of episodes just responding to those questions. So we we really do take it seriously, and uh, and we have blind spots. So it's also great we're we're grateful for that just to uh, make sure you know even though me and my dad are different people, we do think very similarly, and that leaves less room for covering all the yeah we get all the, we got blind spots yeah we got blind spots. So uh, we definitely uh, covet your your interaction emails at uh, you can email us at info at Jim and John. Uh, no H in the John, or there's a contact form on that website, or you can uh, direct message us on uh, Instagram at Jim and John. There you go. Have a great day. Thanks for listening.